Welcome to the All-American Chapel Protestant Service Podcast. This week's sermon will be given by Chaplain Tim Wilson. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. The whole earth is full of your glory. We as a chapel this morning praise you and we worship you. And we thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather in corporate worship. Father, you see everything that's going on in our lives, both individually and also collectively. Some of it's great. Some of it's distracting this morning. And so I humbly ask in Jesus' name that you would get rid of all the distractions. Help us to lay them to the side and help us to focus in on you. Singing your praises learning from your word, Holy Spirit challenging us, convicting us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment so that we will take those steps of faith and when we leave this place, we'll be a different people. These things I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can turn to Jonah in your Bibles. That's on page 1441 in your pew Bible. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible For this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked them, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered and said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make this sea calm down for us? And Jonah said, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not. For the sea grew even wider than, wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 2019 has been a monumental year 
for the Wilsons. Um, this has been a, a year where we have um, celebrated our 16th year in the Army. For some of you who are saying, wow, that's a long time. For other, others of you who are just saying, just 16 years, you know. But for us, that's a big deal. Um, this has been a, a year where, where we as a family, we've been promoted. And so that's, that's leading to more responsibility. I mentioned to you that, that Chaplain Cook is transitioning to 18th Airborne Corps. Chaplain Coyne's coming into the division. This is my last week within the 82nd Airborne Division as the Deputy Division Chaplain. Um, but I'm just going across the street. I'm heading over to Joint Special Operations Command. And I guess I, I'm so good as a deputy, they're going to make me a deputy again. So I'm going to be the, the Deputy Command Chaplain there. And so we'll continue, after a few weeks of leave, we'll come back, we'll continue to worship here, and hopefully continue to serve here at All-American Chapel, so you won't even miss us. We'll, we'll be there, just gone for a few weeks, and we'll be right back. So this, but that, just a lot of transition taking place, a lot of good things happening within the Wilson family. But that's caused me to be somewhat introspective. I've looked back on these past 16 years, and I've looked at some of the good things that have taken place. But I've also noticed some aspects of my life and my ministry that I'm not that proud of. I've been at six different duty stations in the past 16 years. And at every duty station, I have an enemy. Now, I wish I was going to launch into a sermon right now talking about Satan, saying, at every duty station, Satan's waiting on me. But I'm not going to say that, unfortunately. That's a message for another day. At every duty station, I found myself in conflict. Maybe you've had that same experience. And most of the time, it's not because the person I'm in conflict with is a bad person. It's because of a personality difference, or a difference in leadership style, or a difference in work ethic. You know, all of these things that, that, you know, it's kind of depends upon the eye of the beholder as to whether it's good or bad. But it leads to some type of conflict because I'm a very opinionated person. I really am. And I, I, sometimes that's good, but many times it gets me into trouble. And I've always said over these past 16 years, it's because of it's his problem. Or it's, it's because of his attitude. Or if he would just make those changes. But I've come to realize, after all of this time of introspection this past year, I've come to realize that there's one common denominator in all of these conflicts. It's me. So who do you think has the problem? Yeah. And that hurts to say that. It does. One thing that I've come to realize is that it, when I have a personality conflict or a difference of opinion with someone, not because they're evil or not because they've done something wrong, but when I've had some type of conflict with someone, I need to show them God's grace because God's grace has been shown to me abundantly. But there are times when we disagree with God's grace. There are times when it's like, you know what? I really wish God wouldn't be so gracious to that guy or to that gal. Because I just don't like them. Am I the only one that feels that way? That's 
what's something that I've dealt with on a regular basis. And I relate to this guy named Jonah because of that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever read the book of Jonah, chapters 1 through 4, small book, I'm here to tell you, it's not about the fish. As much as we want to learn about the fish and try to figure out that miracle that took place, how does a fish swallow someone and they live for three days underwater in the belly of the whale? Or was it a fish? Or was it a sea monster? And what are the scientific facts that show us that this person can live within the belly of this fish? And, you know, God, he, he created this world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And so if he can create six, a, a whole world in six days, he can create some type of animal to hold a man for three days alive. And, and there was a guy in the 19th century, I think, off the coast of the Falcon Islands, and they, they, they found him in the belly of a well after a few days, and on and on and on. And we get so focused on the fish and the miracle that we miss the message that's in Jonah. Here's a dude that's struggling with the grace of God. And we can learn from Jonah what we do or what we're supposed to do when we disagree with God, specifically with God's grace. Andy has read this passage of Scripture for us already. And so we're, but we're going to look at some of these verses this morning to try to find out what we do when we disagree with God's grace. Look with me again in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for, for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let's stop there for a moment. Who is Jonah? He's a prophet. But he's not your run-of-the-mill prophet. He's mentioned three times within the Scripture, twice directly, once in Jonah, chapters 1 through 4, but he's also mentioned indirectly in the book of 1 Kings, specifically in 1 Kings 17. You read about Elijah healing the widow Zarephath's son. He dies, and Elijah brings this little boy back to life. Jewish tradition tells us that this widow's little boy, his name was Jonah. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I started studying this book. But Jewish tradition tells us that Jonah, when he was a little boy, he was brought back to life. So even as a child, he came to know the grace and the mercy of God. That's the theme throughout his entire life. When you read in 2, Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter um, 14, you see where he's mentioned directly. It says that Jonah is the prophet within King Jeroboam II's court. That means that he stands before King Jeroboam on a regular basis and tells him, thus saith the Lord. So Jonah is very interested. In fact, I would say he is vested into the success of Israel, not just because he's a Jew, but because he's within the court of King Jeroboam. And he is also vested into the demise of Israel's enemies. He wants to see Israel do well, 
and he's wanting to see Israel's enemies not do so well. Nineveh falls within the category of an enemy of Israel. So who's Nineveh? Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire at the time. One of the largest cities in the world during the time of Jonah. And Assyria was focused in on the destruction of Israel. In fact, history tells us that in 740 B.C., they accomplished that task. They were able to enslave the Israelites. History also tells us that the Assyrian people were evil. They were brutal people. In fact, when you look at the ark that we've found, that archaeologists have found when they've gone through the Assyrian, Assyrian ruins, ruins, you see all kinds of crazy things that the Assyrians would do to their enemies. There was one um, stone slab that was found in Sennacherib's palace right outside of Mosul. And on this slab, there's, a, there's a, an engraving, a, a, a statue or a, a sculpture in this stone slab of two scribes making a record of all of the enemies that were slain by the Assyrians. And they're, they're making this tally by counting the heads of their enemies. There's this huge pile of heads that they're counting. That's, that's the way that they, they, they have they find out how many enemy they killed. And that's just an example of what they did to their enemies. They were brutal. And if they had the opportunity, they would do that to Israel. That's Nineveh. And so because Israel is God's people, and because Nineveh's wicked, what does God tell Jonah to do? Does he say, Jonah, go and tell King Jeroboam II? to rouse up the troops. Let's get ready, and let's march into Assyria. Let's march into Nineveh, and let's just watch how God's going to destroy them today. And Jonah, you're going to be known as this great prophet, specifically to your king and to everyone. They're going to, they're going to sing your praises because of how God's going to defeat the Assyrians on that day. Is that what God said? No. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach against it. Essentially, Jonah, I want you to go and give them a heads up. Warn them that if they don't change their ways, judgment's coming. That's a, an act of grace. Warning someone that they're going to face judgment if they don't change their ways. And Jonah's like, I don't want them to change their ways. I want them to face judgment because they're my enemies. And I hate them. When you read all throughout the book of Jonah, you see how Jonah can't stand the Assyrians, specifically the city of Nineveh. He wants to see them perish. And when God shares with him, that he wants this act of grace to be given to the Ninevites, Jonah can't understand it. Now, he should understand it because this is the character of God throughout the Scripture. Scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 12 that God establishes the covenant with Israel not only to be a blessing to Israel, but to be a blessing to all the nations, to include Assyria. To include all the bad people. I want 
you to be a blessing to them too. I want them to come to understand my grace and have the opportunity for repentance and faith through you, Israel. In the book of Amos, it says that God is not going to do anything until he first tells one of his prophets. That means that God is going to warn people before he brings about judgment, this act of grace, to include evil people. And on and on we can read throughout the Old Testament where Jonah should understand up to this point that it's God's character to show grace to everyone, to give everyone a chance. You see that throughout the Old Testament, but he can't see it. You know why? Because at this point, Jonah's not focused in on God's grace, is he? Jonah is enemy-focused instead of grace-focused. He's focused in on evil instead of the righteousness of God. When we focus in on our problem, whether it be a person, whether it be an event, whether it be something internal, something that's going on within us, and we take our eyes off of God, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we start thinking and sometimes even saying, I want God to be gracious to me, and I want God to be gracious to my family, and I want God to be gracious to those that I like, and I want God to be gracious to those that look like me and think like me and talk like me, but those that don't think like me, those that I don't like, I want to see them suffer. God's grace makes sense when it's directed towards us, but it doesn't make sense when it's directed towards our enemies, does it? We can't stand it when we hear a story about jailhouse religion. We can't stand it when we hear of an evil person who's on their deathbed and they ask for God's forgiveness and they receive it. It's just not right. I disagree with your grace, God. They don't deserve it. Ladies and gentlemen, guess what? You and I don't deserve it either. We don't deserve His grace. And when we get to that point where we start thinking that it's, it's our, our birthright or, or it's, it's something that we deserve, God's grace, then we're in trouble because we're taking our eyes off the one who gave us that grace and we're starting to put our eyes on ourselves and we're putting our eyes on those that we don't like. That's what was happening with Israel. In fact, this is the only book in the Old Testament where it shows that a prophet went and spoke to someone who would be considered an infidel. Every other warning is directed towards Israel, towards the people of Israel. It's not directed towards the barbarian. It's not directed towards the one that, that is a pagan. It's not directed towards those that aren't worshiping God. Most of the prophecies are against Israel itself. There was this, this trend of nationalism where people are like, I'm from the people of God. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm better than all of these other people. The focus had been turned internally, and the focus was in on our enemies. And the focus was less and less on God and His grace. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's, what's happened some, so that's what happens sometimes to you. And as I've already shared with you this morning, that's some, what happens to me sometimes. What happens when we disagree with God's grace? 
What happens when we find ourselves in that position? What happened to Jonah? Let's continue to read. Beginning in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Why is Jonah in a deep sleep? How does someone, when there's such a storm taking place that is about to break up the ship, when everybody's screaming out to their own pagan gods, when they're throwing stuff overboard, Jonah's asleep. The only other example we have of something like this in Scripture is Jesus, when he was in the belly of a ship during a storm. His sleep was very different from Jonah's sleep. Jesus' sleep is because he knew the author of the storm. And he was in direct communion with the one who has brought the storm and who could calm the storm. Jonah is in this deep sleep because he also knows who can calm the storm. And he's in such turmoil and such conflict with the one that is throwing this storm at the ship that he's literally passed out in the bottom of the boat. Because the storm inside of Jonah is greater than the storm outside of the boat. Jonah has come to this point where he says, I'm leaving, I'm fleeing the presence of God. I disagree with God, I disagree with the decisions that he's made, and so I'm going to Tarshish. Tarshish is about as far away as you can get from Nineveh. Nineveh. It's the exact opposite direction. And he's, it's more than just leaving Nineveh, he's leaving Israel at this point. And for a prophet to leave Israel, that equaled leaving the presence of God. Ladies and gentlemen, some people get, get to the point where they disagree with God's grace so much. When they disagree with the decisions that God has made, they get to the point where they say, you know what, I'm going to act like I'm an atheist or an agnostic. I'm going to flee from God's presence and I'm going to tell everyone that I don't believe in God anymore. Most people that you, that, that you meet who say they're atheists or agnostics, and, and you get the chance to go below the surface with them. Most of those who I've talked to, they'll come, they'll give me an example in their life that they say there was a certain incident that took place and God made a decision that I didn't like. God did something that hurt me. And because God did this and I disagreed with him so strongly, I've now decided that I don't believe in him anymore. That's essentially what Jonah's doing. He's fleeing from God's presence. I'm going to Tarshish. Ladies and gentlemen, a trip to Tarshish, that act of rebellion is not worth it. Because you end up, like Jonah, in the bottom of the boat, in this deep sleep. I'm so worn out because there's this war being waged within my soul. That's what 1 Peter 2.11 says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Bitterness, hatred, revenge, those are sinful desires, ladies and gentlemen. And when we allow that to invade our soul, 
when we disagree with God showing grace to our enemies, there's this war being waged. A storm comes within our hearts and within our souls. And no matter what's going on around us, the internal storm's even greater. Now, most of you are here in chapel this morning. Literally, you're here in chapel, but most of you are still focused in. You're here in chapel. And you're like, chaplain, that's not me. I'm not an atheist. I'm not an agnostic. This message must be for someone else. Most of you aren't in that camp, are you? But there's something else that happens. There's another way that we can flee from God's plan for our life. There's another way where we can disagree with God and His grace. We might not flee from His presence, but we kind of check out. You know what I mean by that? We're still in Israel. We're still amongst God's people, but we're definitely not going towards Nineveh. We're not going to do what He wants us to do. We're not going to show God's grace to those that we don't think deserve His grace. We're never going to share the gospel with someone that we don't like. We're never going to be kind to someone who's not kind to us. But we're not going to go to Tarshish either. We're not, we're not going, we're not going to, to flee from his presence. We're just going to hang out and do nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the majority of the church. Not just All-American Chapel, but the church universal. Most of us have gotten to the point where we just check out. We sing the songs, we listen to the sermons, but we're not responding to God's grace because there's an enemy, there's a person, there's a people group, there's a neighbor that we're called to love and we say, I'm just not interested in that because they're like Nineveh. They don't deserve God's grace. We don't flee from God's presence, but we, we just check out. He was in this deep sleep. And so let's keep reading. Verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come on, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, fellas, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn back to God, and we're going to turn this boat around, and we're heading to Nineveh. I'm going to make this right. Is that what he said? No. Listen to where his heart's gone at this point. What should we do? Jonah says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, does he know there's going to be a fish or a whale or a sea monster or something to get him at this point? No. Essentially, Jonah's saying, I know how to stop all of this. Kill me. Essentially, Jonah's saying, I disagree with God's grace so much, I would rather die than see him have this act of grace on the Ninevites. 
he replied, and it'll become calm. And I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Getting to the point where you'd rather die than follow God's plan of grace. He's at the lowest of the low. What's the end result of rejecting God's plan of grace? Specifically for those that we don't like. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not good. I don't want to be like Jonah. I don't want to get to that point where there's such a war waged in my soul that I'm like, you know what? I'd rather just check out or I'd rather just flee from God or I would rather just die than keep up with this turmoil and this conflict. What's the end result of disagreeing with God's grace? It's not good. It's not good. But how does God respond to his children when they get to that point? I think this is why we call his grace amazing. Look at what he does. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Three things happened here. Three acts of grace. God continued to move in a gracious, gracious fashion. First of all, he was gracious to these sailors. Did you see what they did? They were worshiping all these pagan gods. And after the storm calmed down, they're like, oh man, this God is probably the one true God. It, the scripture says they greatly feared him. Now there's this debate whether it was a true conversion or if it was just they added Jehovah to, to all their other pagan gods. But God was moving. He got the attention of these Phoenician sailors even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion. No matter what we choose to do, God's plan of grace continues to move on, ladies and gentlemen. He was gracious to these Phoenician sailors. He was gracious to Jonah. If you were to go back and read in verse 4, the scripture says that, he, that God sent a storm. And that's not a good English translation. The literal translation is God threw a storm at Jonah. You catch the, the play on words there? God throws a storm at Jonah. The Phoenician sailors throw Jonah into the storm. Jonah's doing his best to end this. And God says, no way. I'm going to catch you in this storm. And I've got something for you, Jonah. That's where the miracle takes place. Whale, fish, sea monster, submarine. I have no idea. But God says, not today, brother. Not today. I know you want to go to Tarshish. But you're going to Nineveh. Because you're part of my plan. And I'm not going to allow this to be the end of your story. Then number three, he is gracious to Nineveh. I encourage you to read all through the book of Jonah, just four chapters. If we had time, we would look at the worst message in the world. One sentence. Some of you are like, man, I wish you would give one sentence, chaplain. One sentence message. One sentence message, and the greatest revival takes place. Get your act together. Oh, my goodness. Sackcloth and ashes. 
and everybody repents and because God was on the move regardless of what Jonah did. God's grace was going to prevail that day. That's the mighty God that we serve. He's gracious even to bad people. It's amazing. And you and I have the opportunity to be a part of his gracious plan. And we, when we focus in on his grace and don't focus in on our enemies and don't focus so much in on ourselves, he does amazing things. But this story of Jonah, it doesn't wrap up so neatly. If you were to read the end of chapter 4, we find Jonah just like he was in, in chapter 1. He's like, God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be gracious to these people. That's why I didn't want to go to preach. Because I knew you were going to perform some type of miracle like this. So please just go ahead and kill me. He still doesn't get it, ladies and gentlemen. He's still disagreeing with God's grace. And we're left wondering, what's the end of the story for Jonah? And that's the invitation for you this morning. Your story's being written, isn't it? We don't know what the end of your story's going to be. You, as a believer in Christ, you have the choice to say, I trust in God's grace for myself and for others, whether I like them or not. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew Chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In the prayer that we pray every Sunday, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive who? Those who trespass against us. You know who they are? Our enemies. Our enemies. Where are you at this morning? Are you being gracious and showing God's grace to everyone to include those you don't like? My story is still being written. As I shared with you this morning, I've preached this message under conviction because this is what God's been showing me. I choose to not flee from his grace. I choose not to just check out for his grace. I choose to embrace his grace, not only for myself, but for those that are around me, to include the people that get on my nerves. And I encourage you to do the same. Our invitation this morning is going to be a little bit different than what we've been doing the past few weeks. If you want to come to the altar, please feel free to do so. It's open. But this is going to be the focus of our invitation this morning. Yet not I, but Christ through me is the song that we sung a few moments ago. Loving your enemies and showing God's grace to them is impossible in your own strength. Yet not I, but Christ through me. That's how we show grace to those who don't deserve it, in our opinion. I, I encourage you to sing this song as a lesson to the person on your left and your right, but most importantly, to yourself. Sing this song to yourself. Sing it as a prayer to the Lord. Yet not I, 
but Christ through me. Father, you've heard your word read. You've heard your word sung and your word preached. Please do not let your word return void. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That was this week's All-American Chapel Protestant Service podcast. Please tune in for next week's podcast.